This is Together, an Ada Bible Church podcast about the world of marriage, where we attempt to invite you to explore the ways marriage works and doesn't work. From practical ways of learning to biblical inspiration, we invite you to listen to other professionals and couples to help enrich your marriage. Here are your hosts, Rachel Norton, Samuel Jones, and Dr. Kelly Bonnewell. Welcome back to Together Listeners. Uh, my name is Samuel, and of course, I am joined by Kelly and Rachel, and this is season five. What? Uh, season five. Five? Five, five yes. illustrious seasons. I know, and it's been a while. It's really good it to be back together. It really has. Rachel, every time I see your smiling face, I am encouraged and empowered. I'm excited also just to see all the things that's going on at Ada Bible through women's ministry and and the mentorship ministry that you're leading and mm-hmm. um, even when I talk to my wife about the things that she's been a part of she always lets me know like yeah I got an email from this person and that person and they're checking in I'm like this is great because we need this accountability so we do right? we do it's so good to hear yeah <laughs> it's so awesome mm-hmm. and then Kelly man there's so many things going on in Ada Bible at Care so I'm, you know, I'm just so intrigued to hear, you know, about those stories throughout the rest of our season. In addition to the amazing guests that we're going to have this season. So season five, y'all. Season, season five. five. Lots to look forward to. Definitely. Yeah. And so let me share with you guys what I learned recently. Sure. So uh, we our podcast is set up with a website called RSS.com. It's kind of a standard website for those who do podcasting and it gives you analytics and it and it helps you release your podcast and all that and I was on there recently and two items popped up for me that I thought were really interesting and cool number one we hit 18,000 downloads so good to hear that people are connecting with the messages yes 1400 downloads in the last 30 days wow so obviously aaron and katie's uh episode has popped (laughs) uh but then the other interesting thing for you guys who are listening i guess we have a quite a few listeners in brazil amazing um and all of our listen and this is just always intriguing to me that like who does listen to our podcast? So we have people listening in Australia and Thailand mm. and mm-hmm. Europe. But like, if you look at a, if you look at the map, uh, the United States is red, 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 red everywhere. It's all over. It's yeah. all over mm-hmm. in the in the U.S. Mm. But then you have all this red in Brazil. And so I'm just intrigued. So if you're listening and you're in Brazil, we want to hear from you um, because uh, we're so appreciative that you're listening. I love it. And I think we should go to Brazil. Hey, Don't I think you? So I, mean, I think so. I know. You I know, hear a field trip coming out. I, I think people love live podcasts. So mm-hmm. why not? Yes. yes. <laughs> On the beach. <laughs> On the beach. Mm-hmm. You got it. But you think about how it's going everywhere. And I know I find myself all the time like, oh, a certain episode comes to mind. Let me shoot it to you. Mm-hmm. And I think we got a lot of shooting shooting of episodes going around uh, timely encouragements for different ones we cross paths with. Yeah. And, and I love how you all ended season four and kind of highlighting some of those uh, wonderful podcasts that happened in season four and what kind of spoke to you, but also what you heard listeners. And uh, uh, unfortunately I wasn't on that episode. You were not. Yeah. So I'm so, curious. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, Rachel and I shared our favorite right. episode. Yeah. Yes, you did. And I had to think a second and I got some help, but I had to think about this <laughs> and uh, probably 
my most favorite was the two-parter with mm-hmm. uh, Tova and Rachel and, and our and our illustrious therapist and and even with your illustrious wife mm-hmm. uh, Kelly and and uh, in that space you know for them to share their candid lives and all of our uh, marital business was a, a marital gr- business. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was great. It was great. Uh, by the way, listeners, the yeah. episode was on sexuality. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Or as Samuel calls it, marital, marital business. business. Marital business. That, that's good. Oh, but yeah, yeah. I, I think, you know, through five seasons now, as we just kind of think about it and also celebrate it, this is a great celebration for our listeners too, mm-hmm. right? For those who have started right in the very beginning of season one, when we were in a very small room um, very and, small and room. using things that we do not have now yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and how we've upgraded to now, you know, all these seasons forward, mm-hmm. you know, it's a great kudos to every single listener who has paid attention and checked out together, shared it with their friends, their families, as we're continually helping build marriages. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. yeah. And, you know, I think a lot of the listeners would say they're coming to the podcast, describing their marriage as being good. Yeah. But it's really, it's content that's making good marriages better. Yeah. And I I feel like I'm living that. How about you guys? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's that's Mm -hmm. a great tagline. Making good marriages better. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I like that one too. That's really, wow. good. that's really good, Rachel. Mm-hmm. We got a lot of good taglines in this episode <laughs> already. Yeah. So good. let's uh, let's jump in. Uh, today's episode is about the title is going to be something like uh, your our favorite marriage books mm-hmm. that we've read, mm-hmm. and uh, so we all have brought a book to the table that has been a big influence on us. And uh, Rachel, do you want to share? I would love to share because mine is pretty new. So it might be for a lifetime. It's your favorite marriage book. This is my most recent cool. favorite marriage book. And we brought some great guests on who have mm-hmm. great books too. Mm-hmm. And I don't know about you. I have a stack of so many books I would like to read cover to cover. And this is one that topped my stack, partly because it's just been so relevant with conversations I have with women that I encounter in ministry. And so the book I'm bringing to the conversation is by Lisa Turkhurst, and I know many have read her work, and her latest book is called Good Boundaries and Goodbyes. And you guys are looking at me funny because like, this uh, is a sad, I, I thought this was sad. a positive yeah. marriage I, I knew that was coming. I knew it was coming. <laughs> and when I introduced this book to, to women, I say, look, this is not a book about how to end your marriage quick, mm. right? That's not what it's about um, or how to kick that difficult person to the curb because it doesn't only speak to marriages, but it really speaks about what boundaries can look like if they truly are good and healthy, but sometimes we have friendships um, in our lives that really, they're just not healthy. And so that's a different conversation. We're looking at marriages too. And so what is this book all about? What this book addresses are the hard and harsh realities that exist when addiction enters a marriage or other patterns of destructive behavior. Um, And so in relationships like these, and and these happen sometimes, right? We never Mm -hmm. imagine that it's going to happen in that one that we love. They, they, they slip down a slippery slope and they're stuck and they're not who they used to be. And they're not who we know they could be, but they're not in a great place. We're married to them. We want to love them well, but we often, often get in uh, a, a pretty crazy cycle of um, just in our relationship. And so in relationships like these, she talks about how kind and clear boundaries, healthy ones are vital. Mm-hmm. We say emphasis on the kind and clear. Because mm-hmm. 
boundaries can be bad too. Sure. Right. They could be cruel mm-hmm. and they can be controlling. Yeah. So she addresses that right up front. But you know, at Ada Bible, we talk a lot about what would smart love look like? And I feel like this is a book to help us practice smart love Sure. Um, when hard things happen in our marriages. And um, so when are boundaries unhealthy? I think, you know, I've seen this other boundary books have been written and when, you know, I'm maybe talking to friends who are like, I'm putting up a boundary and it's always like, Oh, check your heart there. Right. Cause they can be put up with bitterness, a spirit mm-hmm. of bitterness and actually be like, be presented as threats or to punish. That's a totally different conversation. And what that does, it just gives, it just does more damage. And she speaks to that as well. So here are a couple of um, things that I just really took hold of in her book. She said, where there is an abundance of chaos, there's usually an absence of healthy boundaries. Mm-hmm. And so if there's a lot of chaos, be looking at what healthy boundaries might look like. What do we want to do is we want to desperately provide order to the chaos, um, but we can't control another person. Uh, what we can control with God's help is how we respond. And she said, you know, it's not unchristian to call wrong things wrong and Ooh, to I call like unhealthy, unhealthy. Mm-hmm. So, and she says, you know, good boundaries, they're not just a good idea. They're actually a God idea yeah. mm-hmm. throughout scripture. Boundaries are put in place and they're actually loving. She said, when we put boundaries in place, it's us fighting for the relationship, not against the person who's maybe doing harm. You say, you take a look at the life of Jesus and, um, you know, he never enabled people and he also had boundaries. So it's, it's not giving up all hope of change. It's allowing space for change to happen. And she said, yep, it's hard. You know, it's, it's easy to want to bend when you put them in place and, uh, but when boundaries are violated, we we establish a boundary, like here's what I'm willing to do. Here's what I'm not willing to do. When we allow it to be violated, bad behavior usually gets validated. So she said, healthy boundaries, they help us communicate three important things. The first one is, this is what I have to give and what I don't have to give. That's one. Another thing healthy boundary does is it helps us Um, present what is acceptable and not acceptable. And then this is what I will tolerate and what I won't. So it just provides some clarity so that when the conflict comes, we already have kind of a plan of how we're going to respond. So um, what they do is they help us remain controlled. So they help us practice self-control in these places. I want to, I want to just go into one little page of the book. Each chapter ends with like some, you know, let's revisit some key points and do some reflecting mm-hmm. and ask ourselves some questions. So really, really easy to step into and to apply. But she invites us into a scene. So here's a scenario. There's a sharp disagreement between you and a family member. Here's what a bad, a bad boundary might look like. I rally other people to my side in order to convince a family member that they must change their attitudes and actions toward me. I feel like if I can get enough other people to agree with me, then we can all put enough pressure on that family member to agree with me. Mm-hmm. So, right, that's that's that bad boundary. Yeah. What might a good boundary sound like? This is just one example. I focus on what I can do to manage my own emotions and responses to this disagreement. If I need to process with others, 
I can choose not to engage in conversations that encourage my emotional spiral. Discussing the situation with a few trusted advisors can be healthy. Mm. Talking with anyone who only wants the juicy details is slander and it's just going to take me into a pit of gossip. So that was just one little example. One of the key nuggets I think I just took away with me when I um, first dipped into this book is, you know, when we love someone, they just kind of have full access to us, right? There's trust built. Uh, I extend level 10 access and they um, live with at a level 10 of responsibility. But when we're in a relationship, um, when someone is acting at a level three responsibility, Mm. I need to Mm -hmm. lower my access to meet that responsibility. So I'm going to lower it from that level 10 access to what would level three access look like right now? What do you guys think about that? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a a perfect way to put that, right? Because you're thinking not only about safeguards for yourself, but safeguards for the other person, right? In that space of being empathetic, because in that space, you know, if you're just given (laughs) all you give to that person and then you're expecting a certain level back, you know, that could put a place of challenge for the other person just as much, you know. And so I think the respect and the uh, the tendency to have um, a good place of consideration for the other party um, is is a, a, a great responsibility of practice for both people. I love it. Yeah. Not because you don't love them. It's because yeah. you do. Yeah. Right. And I don't want to love them in a way that helps somebody stay stuck or get more stuck. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So what do you think about all this, Kelly? Oh, Rachel, I love it. Uh, so number one in counseling, uh, we are always talking about boundaries because mm-hmm. I think unhealth um, often originates from unhealthy boundaries. And mm-hmm. I love how you brought up Jesus. Yeah. Uh, Jesus, you know, for our listeners, this might be a great little thing to go do while you're reading the gospels, find all those different places where Jesus held a boundary. Mm. Um, so, you know, an obvious one was the people were thronging to him and desperately wanting to be with him. And what he would have to do is he would have to hold a boundary. And sadly, <laughs> he would literally have to go to the mountains to hide away. <laughs> Adios. And, and pray. Yeah. And part of that was, yeah. you know, to, to, to get away from the people because he knew he, he knew he only, the creator of the universe mm. knew he only had so much capacity. Right. And so one way to be his best self is like, okay, I got to get away from these people for a while. And so, yeah. She cites that in the book. And, you know, I I did put this in the hands of someone where addiction is taking a toll on the marriage. Mm -hmm. I said, you know, there might be some encouragement in this. I bumped into her last week and she said, it is helping so much. It's already been freeing. And I, I don't think it's been a minus for her spouse. So that's really neat to see. That's amazing. And Kelly, I just want to build off of what you said, like, and also what Lisa has mentioned, that idea of how important rest is (laughs) in the space of having boundaries, right? Because rest makes you act, think, and feel better. Right. Bring my best person. Right. Because if I'm tired, wore out, Mm -hmm. the kids didn't been hollering all Mm -hmm. day. And then I'm thinking about myself. You know what I'm saying? The kids hollering all day. Now Mm -hmm. I am challenged with a conversation Mm -hmm. or challenge. I might need some rest in that moment. And even God himself modeled Mm -hmm. it. Seventh day, Sabbath, Mm -hmm. I'm resting. Sabbath is something that we're talking about for Mm -hmm. the month of February, right? right? At Ada Bible Church in terms of the, you know, the, um, the emails that we get every, every week. And so, you know, just the aspect of how important rest is, but, um, yeah, incredible. 
Awesome. Yeah. So you've got a book, Samuel. I do. I do. What you know? topped your list? Well, my list, um, I went more clinical, a little therapist Sam. <laughs> um, and uh, John Gottman, I'm out of uh, Seattle. Um, great, great doctor, great PhD, great clinical researcher who works with his wife, has this book called The Seven Principles of Making Marriage Work. Now, this guy has been around a long time. I hear him referenced it, all every, the time. I mean, all the things. Yeah. Um, because you talk about mm-hmm. someone doing research mm-hmm. and they have lots of couples that they've talked to, therapized, all those types of things things. It helps when you can hear other people's stories and also their research that builds into something that gives you like, oh, this might be more ideal or best practice to apply to, you know, my situation. Mm -hmm. And so um, one of the big things that that uh, this book is based off of um, is this idea called the sound relationship house. And, you know, there's different levels and uh, specifically seven that kind of speak to just this ideal of how do you have a sound relationship? Well, even if we back that up, the first thing that he begins to mention in the first couple of chapters of his book is this idea of friendship and marriage. So many times, Rachel Mm -hmm. Kelly, Mm -hmm. do we get in a space in our lives where, and he brings this out and draws this throughout the course of his entire book, do we get in the course of just living life in crossing the sands of the certificate of marriage, (laughs) the ceremony, right? And then all of a sudden you have kids, you start, you know, celebrating your momentous anniversary every once in a while, but then you're working, you're grinding, you're taking care of all the things and you forget about your why, you know, Mm -hmm. and, you know, Simon Sinek always says, start with why. And in that space, now you're talking about, well, what, what drew us to this space? Mm -hmm. And he keeps drawing it over and over and over again throughout the course of the seven principles of this ideal of Friendship. Now, Kelly, we have talked um, in our podcast about how important friendship is. Absolutely. In marriage and even the component of what it takes to walk in a relationship with the Lord. Kelly, before I even talk more about this book, I feel the interest of how important it is when we encourage our listeners to think about what it'd be like to be friends with Jesus. Mm hmm. You mm-hmm. know, and if you go back and listen to that podcast, I think it's season three, mm-hmm. maybe where we talked about the value of friendship mm-hmm. instead of just being a space where you're maybe just a believer or maybe you're just a servant. Mm-hmm. And in that space, how that draws in into the arena of marriage is, well, friendship is the, it's almost like, well, we started as friends. That's almost like the ultimate bond. Right. And in friendship, it allows you to grow in your relationship right. with your spouse. Rachel, you look like you want to say something. Well, I remember listening to those episodes. Yeah. They're so good. Maybe season two. I'm not yep. sure, but yep. you guys covered some really good ground. It's yeah. worth looking back. Definitely. And so in that space of that book, you know, that's kind of the layer of where he starts at is this the uh, ultimate impact of friendship. You know, he begins to draw out principles of just opportunities when we think about um, when we first get married and how important fondness and admiration play a role and everything that we do, you know, and over the course of time, many cases, we get so focused on vocation and children rearing and so on that we lose genuine interest. I mean, he uses that word genuine interest with each other. And in that space, you know, he brings out a whole bunch of different activities. Every end of every chapter, kind of like you have the reflections at Lisa mm-hmm, Turker's book, mm-hmm. every Every chapter, literally, he has activities and opportunities for you to engage how to build those things. For example, genuine uh, fondness and admiration. He talks about this idea of how you should create words that reflect how you cherish your spouse. 
and not only have the words of cherish of cherishment, but also practicing that every single day for seven weeks. Who would do that? Well, guess did what? Did you do it? I did it. And uh, yeah. look, Kelly's did. <laughs> Kelly's really? done it. Okay. And not only have we done it, I have practices with my clients of saying, you know what? I want a you husband or you wife to literally work on a seven week course of saying how you appreciate your spouse, little things that they do, little things that you just notice, write them down, have a time, a date night, wherever that you talk about those things. Man, you know what? I really appreciate you. I really cherish you in this moment. This is what I cherish about you today. That's building fondness. That's building admiration, you know, with your marriage. And that's one huge piece that he brings out. Mm-hmm. Um, I love that, Samuel. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, that I, it is actually that issue is a big area where Julie and I are trying to grow because mm-hmm. both Julie and I are very type A personalities. We're like, get it done mm-hmm. and maybe can kind of bulldoze through life a little bit. I have that. I just find that hard to believe about you, Kelly, but you've said it before. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to and, get my mind around uh, that. Just using kind words, uh, you know, and I'm also like, if I work with couples, like every now and then I'll meet a couple, I'll be like, Hey, like, do you like give one another a hug before you leave or say, I love you or, and, and, you know, every now and then I'll meet a couple like, yeah, no, we don't do that. And I'm like, start doing it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I wondered how Tova responded. So you have had this where you've been real intentional to watch for those things that you appreciate and don't just see them actually say, you know, say something about them out loud. How has she responded? And I, and that kind of actually draws into my second point of this book. Yeah. He talks about this idea of love maps. Love maps are this space where he says he calls them the part of your brain that stores all the relevant information about something specific that has happened with you and your spouse or something specific about your partner's life. Well, many cases, what we do in marriage is we forget. (laughs) We forget what mattered Mm. to them or what matters to them. And in that space, drawn back to me and Tova, um, practical things like what's your favorite color? Mm. Really? You forget. Some people absolutely yeah. forget it, Rachel. Yeah. yeah. And I and and you'd be like, well, it wasn't it green? My favorite color, my wife's favorite color is mauve, you know. You know, and, and even in those things of, you know, one day she wanted to go to Greece to celebrate our anniversary. Those things are important to remember. But those are like the some on the minor scale, on the major scale, you start to remember what really matters to my spouse? What makes them hurt? What makes mm-hmm. them feel celebrated? What makes them think about some of their biggest fears, hopes, and dreams? Those things are important when you're building a love map that John begins to bring out. Because in that space, often cases, again, we get in the hubbub of life, 10, 5, 25 years of marriage, and the things that matter to you once, you're like, oh, those things don't matter to my spouse. Still matter. They still matter. Mm-hmm. And they make you think about what connects you in friendship. Again, that ideal comes out to your spouse. You know, oh. those are just two of seven principles that he brings out. And the last one that I want to kind of talk about, I'm just giving you, hopefully I'm getting your appetite and wet about going and reading this book, just like with Lisa and also this one with John and then Kelly's book who's coming up. The other one that I think is really important and important for men is this idea of yielding. You know, and now if we go biblical, yielding also looks like just serving your spouse, mm-hmm. submitting you one to another, Ephesians 5 and 21, you know, and loving your spouse. But in this idea of yielding that he brings out, he brings out the idea of how we should be able to influence each other. And sometimes we forget the powerful impact of influence. When we talk about this, this, I'm going to get a little clinical, but like when we get in this <laughs> idea of talking about, you know, hey, um, I 
I'm a parent and I'm navigating a relationship with my other parent of my of the of our children and we're trying to have a conversation and I feel like they're treating me like a child. There's this middle space in between a parent and a child that we say you're supposed to operate from an adult. It's called transactional analysis. And in this space, ultimately, when you're operating from adult to adult, the ideal is that you're operating from a place of influence and influencing each other when we're navigating that space. It's about, hey, how do I serve you and also know how to serve you in a way that you feel loved and that we're also navigating a place of being assertive in our communication with each other? That's just a slight piece. And I think that in the space that he talks about this yielding to influence, um, most often is based off of sometimes our ability as men to engage emotionally with our spouse. Now, we know that, you know, according to his research, and he would agree with this, he says 35% of men, when they first are getting married, um, have some level of emotional engagement, which if you think about 35 from 100, that leaves you with 65% of newlywed men that don't have that emotional engagement skill. Wow. And so he talks about, well, in order to be influenced in marriage, and we can even talk about personalities, right, Kelly, that we've talked about Mm -hmm. in season one and two, like in that space, Influence works where you're thinking about how well and how could I, as a man, begin to engage emotionally with my wife or increase my emotional intelligence with my spouse. He brings that idea out in the book as well. And that's a piece I would encourage our men to listen to. But even outside all those things, like there are seven amazing principles that not just alone, but reading it with your spouse, even participating and talking about it with a therapist might be incredible to have an opportunity to learn some of these things as well as practice some of these assessments and quizzes and and practical things that will really help um, empower your marriage. Love it. And I love John Gottman. Oh, uh, yeah. Listeners, if you haven't listened or read or listened to an audiobook of John Gottman, highly recommend it. Uh, there is nothing I've, uh, I'm, I went through level one and level two mm-hmm. training of Gottman training. Mm-hmm. There's a level three, uh, which I'm definitely not going to do because it's really <laughs> difficult. It's, it's, so it's very difficult. It's very involved. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, but uh, I've never read anything by John Gottman that I disagreed with. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and his, and like Samuel, you said, mm-hmm. he's been doing this for very long time, very long mm-hmm. time. He's yeah. got to be in his seventies. Sure. He is considered the expert on marriage, marriage. research in yeah. the United States. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Him question, and his wife, Julie. Question for you both. You have used this in counseling. I have. How have you seen husband and wife connect with this? Yeah, uh, I'll, gi- I'll give you a, an example. Um, typically in your first couple of sessions and using the Gottman therapy approach, you know, you're encouraging a little bit of discussion, a little bit of argumentation um, because you want a realistic view of how they navigate their marriage. And in that space, those first couple of sessions, you're also getting uh, some interviews in uh, I, uh, some oral history interviews with each couple, with each individual person, as long as, as well as with the couple. And when you begin to talk with them about their history and Kelly, I don't want to, I don't want to steal your fire. I'm just sharing a little bit. <laughs> no. Okay. <I> love it. <laughs> okay. I love it. But like in that space of when you're listening to a lot of their, 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 their oral history of how they think about their marriage, when you start listening to their story of their, why they got married of, of, you you know, the history of their dating relationship. Often cases, when you begin to pick up on those things as, as a therapist, you can begin to hear, you know, well, let's get back to your foundation. 
Because a sound relationship house is all about building from your your foundation. And then when you begin to navigate those things, you're building love maps. You're understanding all those things that make it make sense for them. And sometimes also those things that have built into their defensiveness or their contempt or their criticism. You know, all those things that are part of what he calls the four horsemen. And in those spaces, once you're navigating those things, you start to identify where did they lose sight of what this thing was all about for them and then help them build skills that help them grow from that place of friendship, fondness, admiration, turning towards all these concepts that we begin to talk about in therapy to help them grow from a space of, okay, let's get back to business in this season of our life so that way we can begin to grow towards a better marriage, making a good marriage better in that sense. That's, that's my take on it. You did a great job of summarizing mm-hmm. and yeah. Thanks, Samuel. <laughs> Kelly, what you got? What you, what you got, got, sir? Now, your book looks a little loved. Like my, it's been my, around My a book bit. is loved. <laughs> no, yo, when we say loved, we yeah. mean this thing so, is tattered, torn, and... It's got coffee stains <laughs> on it, maybe. I'm not sure what that is. <laughs> yeah. uh, but uh, I learned something really cool about this book this morning. So, a little bit of background. As you guys might remember, uh, recently John Dixon talked about Mm. uh, the power of our words and how they can influence people to draw them to Jesus. And uh, a quote he had, uh, the power, the power of the briefest thing you might say about Jesus could really dramatically influence influence somebody. And uh, in 1986, I was making a major mess of my life in college. Um, the whole alcohol, drugs, girls, the whole shebang. And I met a friend in my dorm named Greg. And he one night uh, basically shared with me one simple word, which totally transformed my life. And that was, Kelly, did you know you could have a personal relationship with Jesus? Mm. And I grew up in a church. And but and I so I knew a little bit about God and Jesus and all that. And in that next year, I spent a lot of time reading the Bible and I spent a lot of time reading C.S. Lewis. And in this book at the front of the cover, um, I write down a quote and the, and the quote is from this book. The book is called The Mystery of Marriage and it's by Mike Mason. Most people probably have never heard of this book. Um, but for me now, especially as I, cause I, I read this in 1988 and now I've read it for the second time. So this book is from 1988 when I bought it. That's why it looks like that. Yes. Yeah. You know, you know, what's, well, you know, what's amazing about 1988? What's that? It's the year I was born. Uh, go ahead, Kelly. Uh. <laughs> keep going. Keep going. Oh boy. Oh. Do I feel old I'm now? I'm just kidding. <laughs> Were you born in 88? I was born in 88. That is so cool. That is so fun. That is so cool. But you wrote, yes. like, whatever you wrote there, yeah. that was, like, the most powerful thing you drew but from that But here's book. the big part of it. Mm. So, um, I wrote a quote in the book, uh, at the beginning of the book, and it was on January 17th of 1988. Wow. In December of 1987, December 31, New Year's Eve, I gave my life to the Lord. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. And so, I must have bought this book right after that experience and some, I was living in Chicago. Single. Single. And however, I I was intrigued. I knew I was going to get married. And so I'm like, you know what? I should begin to a little bit prepare because I don't know anything about marriage. And you know, my mom and dad didn't have the greatest okay. marriage. 
And so I bought this book and it blew me away and it did two things. It A, helped me understand marriage a little bit better. Uh, but more importantly, at that time, what Mike Mason does in this book is he parallels marriage. And I'm going to read a quote to you in a little bit here. He parallels marriage with our relationship with God. Mm -hmm. And in this book, I learned so much about God by reading this book. Especially as a new believer. Mm -hmm. Especially mm -hmm. as a new believer. Yeah. And so uh, recently, Mike Mason, he lives in Ontario today. He's written a lot of books. Probably not, not a lot of people know about him. He's not. But he, for me, he is an amazing writer. Uh, and when I what I read to you, I think you'll get a get a glimpse of that. Uh, for those out there, if you've ever read anything by Walter Wangren, he writes a little bit like that. Walter Wangren is a really gifted writer. And so is Mike Mason. Uh, Mike has written books on parenting and raising kids and, and a whole bunch of other books. Uh, the, the chapters are very unique uh, in that the very first chapter is very long and it's about, and, and that's where I'm going to read to you. Uh, the chapter title is otherness, uh, meaning you are very other than your spouse. You're very different. <laughs> and one of the things you have to navigate in marriage is you have to navigate those differences and failing marriages don't navigate those well. Some other chapter titles are your typical ones, intimacy, sex, vows. Uh, but the book ends on a really um, unique note and the final chapter is on death. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Meaning uh, when you get married, you have to realize that one of you is going to die before the other. And therefore, in a way, you have to prepare for that um, even before it happens. And uh, it's, a, it's a brilliant chapter. But the unique thing about this book recently for me, four months ago, I gave it to a good friend who's on staff. I won't tell you who it is. He's in his 20s. And I wondered if the book would, uh, what's the word? I wondered if the book would resonate with somebody who's in their 20s. And he came back to me and he said he absolutely loved it. And last night I texted him and I said, hey, tell me what you really liked about the book. And so this is what he wrote to me last night. Uh, it's not a book about processes or method, but about the way we view marriage in the first place. I found myself unburdened from pressure and expectation for a perfect marriage. Instead, I was inspired to think of how meaningful it is to honor my God by serving just one person with my whole being. Mm. Um, and this is a person who, when I when I've been meeting with him at initially, he's not like this now, but he was very reluctant about marriage. And I think that kind of ties to that perfect part, uh, that perfection that he was feeling what you, you know, to have a good marriage, you had to have perfect marriage. Mm. Um, so yeah. So uh, for me, this book uh, is really powerful. So let me read you guys a, a section and you'll get a feel for the language that Mike uses. This is not a, this book is not a how-to book. Mm -hmm. This is a book that when you read it, you want to read it slowly. Julie and I are actually reading it now together and we're in that first chapter and we're trying to read it slowly and really listen to it uh, because it's, as you guys will notice, there's a lot of stuff going on and what Mike is writing about. 
Um, to put it simply, marriage is a relationship far more engrossing than we want it to be. It always turns out to be more than we bargained for. It's disturbingly intense, disruptively involving, and that is exactly the way it was designed to be. It is supposed to be more almost than we can handle. It was meant to be a lifelong encounter that would be much more rigorous and demanding than anything human beings ever could have chosen, dreamed of, desired, or invented on their own. And then he goes forward, and this is the really cool part where he relates it to our relationship with God. And that incidentally is also what faith is supposed to do. It's supposed to remind us that God is not an idol of our own making, not a human invention, not a concept or a theory or a projection or extension of ourselves. No, the bizarre fact of the matter is that God, while invisible, really is there, out there, beyond our wildest dreams. He is a living being with personhood, a true other. To know the Lord is to be brought into a personal relationship so dramatic and overwhelming that marriage is only a pale image of it. Still, marriage is the closest analog in earthly experience, and that is why the Bible so often uses the picture of a wedding and of the bride and groom to convey something of what it means for human beings to be united to God in love. So this, I just highly, highly recommend Incredible. people get this book. It's really, it's been, I would have to say this has been one of the most important books in my life. Mm. Well, with um, that, Kelly, you read that before you even met Julie? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like six years before. So um, how did it affect your relationship early on? Do you remember? Because uh, you must have gone in with a different mindset. Yeah. Well, um, yes and no. Because, you know. <laughs> because. <laughs> well, when, when, you yeah. re- when you read books, you also forget what they say. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. But uh, one of the cool things about this was, again, this was not a popular book. Um, it was a, it was just a book I picked up off the shelf. And recently I did learn something from Julie. Whenever I talk about the book, I always say that, oh, you know, what was really cool was uh, when uh, I married Julie and we were unpacking all of her stuff in, in our house, she had a copy of this book. <laughs> and so I thought, wow, this is really God ordained. <laughs> and so all these yeah. 27 years I've been married to her her. Mm. I thought she was reading it along with me when we were both single and didn't know one another. And, and recently when I pulled it out, she's like, Oh no, I think somebody gave me that book and I never read it. Oh, no way. <laughs> I had already celebrated that you both read that, that before funny. you married each other. But we are yeah. reading it now. Mm-hmm. And, awesome. uh, and so, yeah, I just highly recommend this book. That's awesome. And, and it says on the title too, as iron sharpens, sharpens iron. iron. And that's yeah. so much in marriage, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. It God's is. higher purposes. Yeah. And yeah. Love it the is. way you capture that. Yeah. Listen, this has been so awesome. Listeners, I hope you, um, for the, for the most of this podcast have been encouraged to hear about some of these amazing books. Um, and this is just the beginning of season five. Now we do have, um, if we want to give just a slight preview of some of our guests that are going to be coming, Kelly and Rachel and I have gotten some incredible, incredible guests that you're going to be listening to. So we want you to stay tuned. Anybody want to just give a slight preview of who we've invited for our podcast this year? Well, we're going to talk to another staff person and their spouse, and they have a very, very unique story. Uh, we're um, hopefully going to do a revision of a episode we did in season one. Mm-hmm. It'll—I'm not going to tell you. Uh, <laughs> and uh, 
Uh, and no, we just have a lot of great guests. We're going to interview again, some counselors. We're going to gather the three of us together and mm. have another discussion. So yeah, we have a, a really mm-hmm. great season five ahead of us. Awesome. Awesome. So, uh, listeners, I hope you are encouraged, uh, to know that together is still on the air, still helping good marriages get better and, and, uh, so much more. And, uh, in that we hope and pray that you come back, check us out, uh, listen to us again, share it with your friends, share it with your family members, and just know that together we'll be on again. And we look forward to hearing from you, email us or contact us, uh, if possible as well. Thanks for tuning in to together. And we hope that you'll listen to us again. Thanks for listening to together. We hope you've learned a thing or two. If you find the podcast helpful, please go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your listening platform, leave a comment, and give us a five-star rating. If you'd like more information on Ada Bible Church and its ministries, or someone to pray or dialogue with about your marriage, go online and check out our website at adabible.org.